Well, tonight I want to be sharing and speaking on the subject of active disciples. Active disciples. And I want to encourage uh, you all to take some notes. I know some of you guys, you just take notes because that's how you are. But I really just felt led, you know, just lean in tonight with me. I, I feel like it's a, it's a message to encourage you, to inspire you, and really just challenge us. As I was praying a little bit and just asking God what he had uh, that he was placing on my heart that he wanted me to share with you all, uh, this is what I felt what he was telling me is, you know, this is like a checkup message. You know, like, I mean, you know that every, from time to time it's good to check under the hood. I almost broke my truck. Uh, a couple weeks ago because I forgot to check the oil and it was running on like bone dry. Like a truck is nice, trucks are good, cars are good, they serve you well. As long as you make sure that you check under the hood every now and again, you do the maintenance and you know it has a purpose. We have a purpose. God has a God-given design and purpose in our life but from time to time I think it's just a good thing to check under the hood, to give a checkup. So talking about active disciples in Matthew 28 verse 19 Jesus is talking here, and he had already come. He, he, he gave his life. He died on the cross. He rose again, and here he is talking to his disciples, and we know this as the Great Commission. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples, underlying that word, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end. Into the, to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go and de- make disciples. Do we think about it this way? Do we see ourselves as, as disciples? You know, a lot of times we read this and we think of disciples just being the 12 or the people that were around Jesus. But, you know, the disciples, the calling on their life was to go make other disciples, meaning that they weren't the only ones to ever be the disciples. That wasn't the plan. The plan was that disciples would go out and make disciples, and those disciples would go out and make disciples. And biblically speaking, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have surrendered your heart to the Lord, if you have a right standing with God, the Bible uh, describes that as being a disciple. I think it's common that, you know, whether we share our faith or we or people like gauge us or where we're at, or we gauge other people, it's common to say, have questions like, do you believe in God? You know, and, and we assume that we mean the same thing, but how many of you know that that can mean a lot of different things? There's different deities, there's different gods, there are different uh, pe- people make themselves or make other things as God. There was a time in the Bible where people fell down and thought that the disciples were gods. And so really, you know, believing in God is very general. Or maybe it's like, do you go to church? Well, again, you know, that can mean different things. Different churches can serve different gods. And again, it's not super common, but biblically speaking, the real question is, are you a disciple? Do you follow Jesus? Do you devote your life to following the Lord? And here's the heart of the message tonight. If you, if you can get this tonight, this is really what my, my main goal is. This is what I feel like is in my heart is, is the closer that we get to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the more obvious it has to be that we follow Jesus. The more obvious it becomes and the less generic and the less general it is that I believe in God or I believe it or I go to church or, yeah, I, I, I like to do things or I consider myself religious to, to really narrow that down and say, 
I, I follow Jesus. It's not just that I, I have faith or of faith, but particularly it's following Jesus. Again, Jesus said, uh, called us to make disciples. So what is a disciple? A disciple is a, a learner. From the Greek word, uh, mathetis, it is a, a student of Jesus Christ. It is one who is, devotes their life in obeying Jesus. And, you know, a true student of Jesus really never graduates. You know, in school, I remember being in school, and I was the type of student that would just stay in class and just wait for the bell to ring because I knew that once the bell rang, I was good to go. I was done. I didn't have to listen to the teaching. I didn't have to do the test. That was my way out. I was gone. But a disciple, this kind of student goes beyond the classroom teaching. This kind of student goes beyond the bell that's rung and you're done. This is more relationship of a father, of a daughter, and a son. This is more of in class and out of class, through life. You never graduate. You never complete your studies because a true disciple is a lifelong learner of Jesus Christ. Now, in Luke chapter 14, if you're taking notes, write this down. This is what I believe is the attitude of a disciple. And Jesus really just lays it out here. And uh, in verse 25, it says, now great multitudes went with him, with Jesus. So, so just, just think about the context here. Jesus is talking to a lot of people, a lot of different people in different areas of faith, different reasons why they were even close into listening to Jesus. Some of these people were devoted. They were committed. They were good. Other people were not so sure. They're like, uh, I know that he healed so-and-so. I, I want to see what he's about. Other people were just curious and really distant. And so within that crowd, there was just all these different levels of, of where they were at, where they stood with them. And so he just finished saying this parable, and he stops for a second, and he turns to the multitudes, he turns to the crowds, and he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We'll come back to that, because I know that sounds crazy if you've never heard that before. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first, consider whether he's able to, with 10,000, to meet who comes against with 20,000, or else while the other is still great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. And 33, here's the summary right here. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, I believe this is the attitude that Jesus calls us to have to be his disciple. Let's break this down a second. Uh, it starts off by saying, if you come to me and you don't hate your father, your mother, your, your wife, your children, your kids, if you don't hate them, you can't be my disciple. Now, if you took that scripture and that scripture alone, how many know that we'd be messed up? Some of us are already messed up. <laughs> but the context of that goes beyond that because obviously Jesus is not saying that we disrespect our, our family and we disown our family. Jesus goes on to the, to the extreme to say, you know, you've heard that you're supposed to hate your enemies, but I'm telling you, you got to love your enemies. So he wouldn't be saying, telling us to love our enemies and to hate our family. 
And really to understand this, we have to see the parallel uh, verses or passage to this, which is in Matthew 10, 37. And he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I looked this uh, word hate up as I was studying. And I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance, and it gives you the original language that this was written in. And the definition in there actually has a part of it. It says love less. So he who does not love less. So really, it's not a matter of hate, or it's not a matter of, of rejection or abandonment or disrespect, but really it's a matter of order that Jesus is looking for. He's looking for a matter of order. He's looking to be number one in your life. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're saying, Jesus, even if it comes down to it, if my family were to, to disown me for the reason, for the purpose of following you, then so be it. Because Jesus, you are number one in my life. Jesus, I believe that your priority, my, the priority in, you, in my heart for you is number one. I think here's the revelation with this because it sounds, it sounds like it's off if you don't, it's kingdom. How many you know that kingdom is, is upside down? <laughs> A lot of times, you know, to, 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 to get somewhere, you got to kick something down. And Jesus says, no, to get somewhere, you got to serve all. To be great, you got to be the least. You know, and that's, that's what this is right here. This is kingdom. The revelation is this, the attitude that we ought to have when it comes to our devotion and our love for Jesus is this, that when we love Jesus first, it actually enables us, empowers us, and trains us to love our family better. It's, it's, it's something that you got to give up to gain. When you, when you love Jesus first, when you devote to Jesus first, you actually can become a better husband. You can actually become a better son, a better daughter. You can be a better father. And you can be the best version of you because that's who God, he's the one who designed you. He's the one who created you. And he knows you more than you know you. And when you align that in your heart as a disciple, you actually love the right way and logically it doesn't make sense logically you say no I got to love them first but that love is limited you can only go so far you can only learn so much you can only do so much but when you love Jesus first he teaches us remember disciples a student a learner he teaches us how to love the best way he goes on to say that if we do not bear our cross and follow him that we cannot be his disciples and I believe this is a, a common mis, misunderstood verse in the Bible. You know, the cross is, you know, as we see it now, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a symbol of where Jesus died. It's a symbol of salvation. But many people misunderstand this and think about the cross being uh, a sickness that we have to carry or poverty in our lives that we have to deal with. But really that's under what Jesus died for and, and, and bled for and paid the price for. The Bible says that by his stripes we've been healed. And so the cross can't be sickness, otherwise that would contradict that. But really in this time, the cross was a symbol of shame. The cross was a symbol of, a symbol of shame. This is where criminals went to pay judgment, to pay their price of, of, of doing wrong things and bad things. And, you know, it, I believe what Jesus is telling us here is this, is that you bear your cross. It is unpopular it is countercultural. It is considered foolish. 
to consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ and to follow Jesus Christ. He said, pick up your cross. Jesus is standing over here, and culture and society are over here, and he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, how many, how many know that I can't really, like, hide this? How many know that if I hold this for a while, that I begin to notice it, it begins to wear on me, other people begin to notice it as well? I believe when he's talking about picking up your cross, he's saying that it is something that is that you have to do that looks obvious and it looks foolish. That's why Paul said that he came to a place, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is power unto salvation for all who believe. I think we all get to this place in our walk with Jesus where we have to make a decision. Am I really going to live for this? Am I really, when it comes down to it, and I have a decision to make, and I have you know, different values to, to, uh, to, to have and to give to my family. At the end of the day, what do I really stand for? Am I willing? Am I willing to go against what society and what culture is already doing? And even look like a fool in their eyes. But, you know, I've just come to a place in my life where I say I'd rather look like a fool to people than be a fool before God. And that's, that's being a disciple. And then, you know, Luke goes on to say how, you know, he gives the analogy of a, of a builder and he gives the analogy of a king who's going to war. And really that's just counting the cost. It's commitment. It's counting the cost. You know, there's, a, there's something that we give and that we receive when we follow Jesus. And it is the attitude of, of, of a disciple. I believe that Paul really embodies this. And one of my go-to verses over the last year and a half uh, with all this craziness, has been Acts chapter 20 and verse 22. And I believe this is the attitude that we ought to have. He says this, And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me. I'm going to say that again. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I'm going somewhere where I know that they're going to treat me badly. I'm going somewhere where there's some chains that are waiting for me. There's, he says, the chains, the tribulations, the unknown, it doesn't move me, it doesn't shake me, it doesn't make me want, it, it might do other things, I might feel other things, but I am committed because I've already decided to follow Jesus and I realize that this is something greater than myself. This is, I live for a greater cause. I don't count my life dear to myself. Now, I was very... Um, Particular with the title of this saying, active disciples and not flawless disciples. <laughs> because you may be hearing this and you're like, man, that's, that's a high bar. Like, I don't think I'm there yet. And you know what? I don't think that that's what this is about. It's really, maybe some of you are there, but really it's the heart behind this to say, I am not there, but I am aiming there. I am going that way to where I can one day say that none of this moves me, that this is greater, that my life is, I don't consider it dear to myself. 
I'm willing to, 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 to pay a price that would, would, would affect me physically, that would affect me in such a way, but yet I know that there is something greater beyond what I see and what I feel, that eternity is so much greater than this life that I know because I follow Jesus. It's the attitude that I believe God calls us to have. For the rest of the time, I want to just talk about three marks of the disciple or like a rhythm that should be a part of your life because you follow Jesus. Three different areas that you should be engaged in because of your decision to follow Jesus. The first mark is this, is uh, abide or continue. And uh, John 8, 31 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now, the key word here is is abide. Um, You know, when we hear this, we we think about the word, and we think about reading uh, the word, which which is a part of it. We think about reading the Bible, which is a part of it. But really, you know, it goes beyond the reading. It's, it's, it's what do you do with the reading? It's how is your attitude when you approach God's word? What do you do with what you hear? What do you do with what you know? What do you do with what you don't know? The abide is, 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 is a key word here, and this is what abide means. It means to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. Abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, and tarry. He says, if you're going to be my disciples, you have to abide. You have to stay. You know, the first scripture of the Great Commission, he says, go. He tells his disciples to go and make disciples. But as disciples, there's a place that we have to stay. And that is in his word, where we have to continue and that is in his word. He says to us, if, if, you are my, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Jesus teaches uh, this parable about the sower in, chapter, in, Mark, in the book of Mark in chapter 4. And he's teaching this story. And he says there's a sower that sows the, word, the uh, seed, a farmer who's sowing seeds. And, you know, as he's doing that, some of the seeds fall on the, on the, on the road, on the wayside. Some of the seed, it falls on uh, stony ground uh, where there's some rocks, and because of the rocks, there's no root, and so the, the, the seed doesn't grow f- a fruit. Some of the seed falls in thorny ground, and because of the thorns, uh, the, it, the seed gets suffocated and it never grows and bears fruit. And then some of the seed falls on good ground. And there's four conditions that Jesus is talking about when he talks about this. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 10, he really just teaches this to his disciples. He says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. In Matthew, it says that is the word of the kingdom, by the way. Because if you remember that, the people that Jesus is talking to are hearing the kingdom for the first time. These are people who knew the law. These are people who knew Deuteronomy and Leviticus and, and all of these, but this is kingdom. This is the first time that they're hearing the kingdom. So they have something to do with this as well. 
So he says, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness and they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a lifetime or for uh, only for a time, excuse me. Afterward, when tribulation, when persecution, when problems arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. And then he says these are the ones with the thorns where the, 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 they hear the word, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things choke the word and it's unfruitful. And then he says that the ones on good ground, these are the hear the word, they accept it and they bear fruit. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying here. There's a category, there's a heart that we have that will either just fall on the wayside and we don't understand it, nor do we try to understand it. And, and spiritually speaking, we may not see this, but Satan takes that word away, whatever that might be. And then there's the part where there's stony ground, where problems arise for the word's sake. And here's what I, I want to say to you is this. The reason that the stones are there, the reason there's, that, there's this opportunity or this temptation to leave is because problems arise, because there's no root. But you want to know how you get root? Is you stay. Is you stay. Is you abide. You stay in the word. You know, there's, how many of you guys have gone through problems before? There's a saying that says you're either coming out of a problem, you're in the middle of a problem, or you're about to step into a problem. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who were disciples, were just on fire for God, they were just serving God, but because problems came, it challenged their faith. And the word that was inside of them was not rooted enough that they just forsake, forsook all of it. And it's a challenge and it's a temptation, but you know what I feel like God is, would say to those people or would say to us if we're ever in that problem, in that time, in that season, is he would tell us to stay. He would tell us to stay. He would tell us to not quit. Because the reason we want to quit is because there's not enough roots, but for you to get roots, you got to stay a little bit. you got to dig a little bit. you got to be able to to know that, that, that this will pass, that there's something greater, that God is working something inside of you, not just around you. You know, I think about uh, two of the hardest things that we've gone through as a family. One of them was with uh, my son being sick, and they told us literally that he was not going to make it through the night a couple nights. I'll tell you what, that, that we had to abide, we had to stay <laughs> Because it was a temptation with problems, with persecutions, with tribulations to rise for us to just forsake that, that word that was inside of us. But when you stay, you gain some root. Another time was when it was a time of ministry where uh, there was a time where it was just unhealthy for me to continue in the, in, in, in the pastoral seat that I was in, and I had to step down, and it was a different kind of problem. The first problem was like, oh, it's all good because there's a sickness and I can ask for prayer. The second problem is like, 
man, this is more shame, this is more guilt, this is more something that God is working inside of me, and i got to rearrange some things, i got to change some priorities in my life. But nonetheless, it was a problem where there were stones, and you had to, I had to make a decision to stay. I had to make a decision to abide. I had to make a decision to say, although there's problems that arise, although there's persecutions that arise, there's some stones there's some roots that's taking place. There's some things that God is doing in my heart. There's some things that God is doing in my family. And there's a decision to make because I've committed to follow Jesus. Whether you feel alone, whether you feel confused, whether you feel like all hope is gone, where you feel maybe there's no one that stands for you, maybe you've lost somebody, Tribulation and trials and persecution will challenge us as disciples to give up what we know. And you know, it's interesting that that same scripture, John 8, 31, 32, it says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I think the temptation is that we're going to forsake that word to experience freedom. I'm going to forsake that word so that I can... Do away with the stuff I'm feeling, the confusion I'm having, or maybe the neglect that I'm feeling because I'm looking for freedom. I'm looking for something better. But Jesus says if you remain, that you're going to experience truth. And actually through truth, you're going to be free. (laughs) If you just stay a little bit. If you were to just stay. If you were to just abide. If you were to just let God do a work in you. He goes on to say that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches... How many of you guys know that there's cares of this world right now? <laughs> How many of you guys know that this world is crazy? <laughs> I mean, it's always been crazy when you think about it. But it's like crazier. And cares of this world, like the cares of what's happening, can try to steal what God is doing inside of your life and what he's done in your heart. Here's the thing I'm trying to tell you. True disciples of Jesus Christ stay and abide in his word. You stay, even when there's problems, when there's other things trying to choke what's inside your heart, other things trying to pull you out from what God is doing and pull you away. Maybe the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things are trying to pull you away. You, you remain, you stay because you know that in Christ there's life. In Jesus there's joy. And there's nothing that can, can, can compare to what you have in God. And there's always this pull on you because of what God is doing in our hearts and because of the kingdom of what God is doing. And so that's the first mark is that you abide in his word, that you stay in his teachings. And remember, a disciple's a learner. You cannot learn without the word of God. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says this. Make sure I find it here. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. 
and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's word, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will uh, accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the fictions or the errors they hold. And they will turn their ears from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. Does that sound like that's what we're living in a little bit right now? I mean, you look around and it's like, it's so easy to say, I don't want to hear that because I don't like that. But a true disciple remains and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's the second mark if you're taking notes. John 13, 34 says, And a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A rhythm of a disciple is one who loves like Jesus. Loves like Jesus. Um, Let me ask you this question. Is it important that people know that you are a disciple? Have you ever thought of it that way? Like, is 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 it a mission of mine to make it obvious that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is that on my mind with what I do, with what I'm about, with how I go about my business? Think about current events. Think about how much confusion, how much fear. Think about how much division. Think about how much strife and how much hate is happening right now. And think about the opportunity that we have as a church to display the kingdom of God to display and to maybe offer some hope and maybe to offer something that's better than what this world and what this culture offers. I think that when people look at the church, they should see something different than what they see when they look at each other. I think that when they see the church, they should see some hope. How many of you guys would agree with that? I think when people see the church, they should see some unity. I think that when they see the church, they should see some love. Now, even within the church, if we don't agree with all the same things, I think that love should still reside in the church. What did the disciples know at this time when Jesus is talking to them? You know what they knew? They knew Deuteronomy. They knew Leviticus. They knew love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They knew that. But Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. To love the way I have loved you. Now, I don't think that we kick out loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But I think Jesus kind of brought it to a new level. By the way, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet when he was telling his disciples this. I was praying about this and I was asking God, how did you love them? And I thought to myself right away, well, you died for them. But Jesus was like, I hadn't even gone to the cross yet when I told the disciples this. Like, he had modeled love even before the cross. Like, he had chosen them. There was forgiveness. There was, uh, you know, Jesus saw something inside of these men, inside of these women, that he was able to pour his life, his time, and his love towards them. I believe that a mark of a disciple, the rhythm of a disciple, is one who loves his brother and his sister in the Lord, the way Jesus loves them. I think there should be an obvious 
love. It's amazing to me that Jesus says this. He says, by this all will know. I would think that by this all would know that by me preaching or by me telling them or by me doing something different. But Jesus says the mark by which you testify that you belong to me is by the way that they see the church and how they love each other. I think the church ought to model this. You know, I think we ought to evaluate ourselves, especially now to say, you know, it's okay to stand for something, but yet to also love and to also know that I am for the people that are next to me. I am for them because we're on the same team. How many of you guys are excited that it's, super, it's uh, football? I almost said Super Bowl. It's uh, football season. Anybody like football? It's okay. You're in church, but you can say you like football. It's okay. Or school, school started, school's back up, it's in season. And we got, you know, and, and you know, we like these things. We, we go for sports, or some of us do. Some of us love our school. And how do we do that? We show them, we show what we for by what we wear. We wear our jerseys, we wear our colors, we wear, we're excited. And we, we demonstrate our love, we demonstrate for by what we wear. Jesus says the jersey of a disciple is how you love each other. That's what we wear. It's how we love each other as we walk in love with each other no matter what, even in a, among disagreements. This is how they know. This is how they know. Here's the third, here's the third uh, mark here is John 15, 8. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. All these things are in John, by the way. They're all said by Jesus, and he literally says, you do this, you're my disciple. You do this, you're my disciple. You do this, you're my disciple. This is like straightforward Jesus telling us this is who a disciple is. And he says, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, fruit is really what we have to give. It is our service. It is, you know, you think about fruit and fruit comes off on a tree. The purpose of, the, you know, you work on the tree, the tree's healthy, it's producing fruit. But that fruit is not for the tree. That fruit is for other people. That fruit is so, so that it can nourish and it can help other people and that's really what we're called to do. It wouldn't do us any good. It would, only, it would be incomplete if all we focused on was being in the word and loving people. There is something that we have to offer. There is something that we have to give. And Jesus says this by saying, by you bearing much fruit, by you producing, by you giving what God has placed inside of you, by you going into action for what the kingdom is all about, you are glorifying God. And I believe that in this room, I believe those who are online, I believe that there are some things inside of us that God has called us to do. There are some giftings inside of us that God has set aside for us to use for his kingdom. You know what he told the disciples when he sent them out? In Matthew 10, he says, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely you've received, freely give. It was like, go out. And make a difference. Go out and make a difference for the kingdom of God. And I just want to encourage us tonight. I just want to remind us tonight. Maybe you're hearing this and you're like, man, that's a, that's a high call. That's, a high, that's maybe for a pastor. Maybe that's for a preacher. Maybe that's for somebody who's like 
committed to ministry full time. I believe this is for the church. He said to the disciple, we ought to be living this way. I just feel in my heart that, you know, God is just speaking to me. He's speaking to us to just, you know, where are we at with this? What are we all about? Are we willing to forsake it all? Do we have that attitude? Where are we abiding? Where are we staying? Where are we getting our direction from? Where are we closest to? Whose voice is the strongest in our life? How are we loving? How are we walking? How are we loving our neighbor? How are we loving those who are next to us? Those who we call brothers and sisters? Are we modeling that well? And what are we doing with God, with what God has given us? And again, it's not flawless disciples <laughs> because we don't all have it all together. But I just want to call us up tonight. And what's your next step? Would you pray with me tonight? Would you just right there where you're at, just close your eyes? If this message just spoke to you in any way, would you just open your heart and receive this prayer? Pray with me. Is that pray over us today? Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, that you're good. You're not mad at us. <laughs> you're madly in love with us. And it's a privilege to be called a disciple. And Lord, I pray that you would ignite a fire inside of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us what it means, what, is it, what it looks like a little bit to follow Jesus. I pray, God, that you would give us a passion that surpasses what we see, what we feel, what we know. You would give us a burden for the lost. You would give us a heart for your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that you would just stir us up in Jesus' name. We thank you, Holy Spirit. And we just say, have your way in us in Jesus' name. Now, as we're still praying, would you just continue uh, with your eyes closed and your head bowed? And I want to just address those who are not sure where they are at with God, where you stand with God. And as I'm up here speaking and sharing from my heart a little bit, you may not understand everything I'm saying, but you say there's something there. And I want to get to a place to where I follow Jesus. This is what it's all about. If you're online or if you're in here tonight and you say, I don't know where I stand with God, I want to tell you that God has a plan for your life. There's nothing that you've done that would disqualify you enough to not come to him. 
The Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if you're here tonight and you say, I want to know, I want to be made right with God. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to experience life and joy and love. Would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. Say, pray for me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to be made right with God. I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven. God bless you, bro. Anybody else that says, pray with me, pray with me, pray for me. God bless you, bro. All right, we're going to pray together. And I want to invite everybody to pray this. You may be already saying, I'm good, but just to join our faith with those who raise their hand tonight, let's pray together out loud. Let's just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I surrender my heart to you. And I declare that I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. And I believe he rose again for me. And I accept him as my Lord and as my Savior. And from this day on, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.